This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 69, with director John Chu. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onken, and on this show, we're bringing inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, all you Shop Talk creatives out there? Welcome to another episode of Shop Talk Radio. I'm excited this week. I am heading down to Miami on Wednesday for a summit series. So if you're there, come up, say hi, hello, would love to meet you. And what I'm really excited about is this week's guest, Mr. John Chu. And he is a big director over in Hollywood. He's directed many big films you've probably heard of, like G.I. Joe, Step Up to the Justin Bieber movies, Never Say Never and Believe, and he has just finished Now You See Me Part 2, all-star cast out in London, and we get to really dive in and learn what it takes to become a studio director in Hollywood, and John's path of creativity and, and a little bit of behind the inner workings of the studio Hollywood world. Uh, from a director's point of view, from somebody who's worked hard his whole life to get to where he's at now. It's very, very interesting. In this episode, we learn a lot of things, and a few of them, we learn how his sense of play as a kid uh, was very built into his creativity and helps fuel his creativity. We also learn why school for film isn't for everyone. We also learn why why he keeps making stuff even in between projects. And that's something that I talk a lot about. And it's great to hear from somebody in that industry who is doing the same. We also learn how to deal with other people's opinions of your work, especially on a high level of media and critique and all those things. John is an amazing guy. He really has a heart to help people and inspire people to do their own creative work. So without further ado, I bring you the one, the only, Mr. John Chu. All right, guys, today we have Mr. John Chu on the show. Welcome to the show, John. Yo, it's great to be here. John is a uber talented director, directed many movies that you've probably heard of, like (laughs) G.I. Joe, Step Up To... The Justin Bieber Believe and yes. Never Say Never. He's just finishing up Now You See Me Part 2. Yes. yes. So many, many amazing things. I actually confess, I Step Up 2 has been, always been one of my favorite movies. It's funny <laughs> because I just, I love the dancing in that movie. Nice. Especially that last, the last scene in the rain. Yes, that was, uh, they were very cold. They uh, all hated me that day, but we got through it, and uh, I'm really proud. That was my first movie, so I was no really, kidding. really proud of surviving and meeting some of the, my best friends now. So uh, That's yeah. amazing. Where did you guys film that? We shot in Baltimore. Uh, yes. <laughs> in the wintertime? <laughs> uh, and, 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 and pouring rain on them, and we couldn't make the rain hot because they would start to steam. Yeah. So we had like 500 extras, and uh, they could barely breathe because the water not only falls from above, but when they're on the ground, and they do a lot of stuff on the ground, the water is bouncing off. So they're literally swallowing water. We had to stop in the middle sometimes because people just couldn't breathe and start to gag. Oh, my God. So it was uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that number. <laughs> I people don't imagine. realize 
slides. So. It looked epic, though. Oh, that thank was, you. That was an epic, epic scene. Thank you. Thank you. We had hot tubs right next to it, so they could <laughs> jump in in the middle. Um, so they at least got a little bit of... What was the temperature? There. I don't even... All I know is they were shivering the whole time. Oh. Every time we called action, they just have to fake it. Wow. Just not shiver. And, uh, and we had to cut around a little bit of their shivering, but... Uh, that's crazy. I think that's why when you watch the sequence, you can feel them fighting through it, and they're the underdogs in the movie. So yeah. you, I think you get a sense of their fight in it, mm. which is nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. So let's jump back a little bit. Where tell us where you're from, and and then how your kind of your journey into directing, how you how you got into it, and we'll dive into that a little bit more. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in uh, Los Altos, California. Um, okay where Steve Jobs grew up in next to Palo Alto. And um, I, uh, my, I'm the youngest of five kids. Oh. Um, and my parents came from, my mom from Taiwan, my, my dad's from mainland China, and they met in the Bay Area oh. uh, when they came, they went like 19, 20 years old. And uh, my dad started a restaurant called Chef Chews. It's been there. It's still there. <laughs> no way. It's been there for 46 years now. Um, and, uh, that was our home base. That's where I ate every day. I'd have birthdays there. Um, different, uh, you know, after soccer games or basketball games, we'd eat there. It was very yeah. much our, our, our home away from home. Mm. Um, but growing up in the Bay area was an interesting place because it was in the eighties, early eighties, um, when computers weren't everywhere yet. And that was sort of the birthplace of the personal computer. And so at the restaurant, my, there'd be a lot of customers and the customers that would come in. Uh, you know, at some point found out that I was into movie making. I was probably in like third or fourth grade and I, no and, and there was no digital movie making at that time. Mm. And they would bring in, um, old computers that they had beta computers and they would, they would give it to my dad to give to me to learn how to edit. Um, they give me software, beta software, no manuals. So I had to figure it out <laughs> all myself and I just sit at home and play with it. And I, and I remember my parents gave me a camera. So before all that, my parents gave me this camera uh, I was forced to be in control of the camera mm. when we went on vacations. And so uh, I was always the one shooting, never in it. So it looks like I'm never at my family's vacations, <laughs> but I'm always shooting it. And uh, I convinced my dad to get me this um, little mixer from Sharper Image. Uh, Sharper Image was that like magazine yeah, that had yeah. all the futuristic cool oh. toys in it. And, um, and it was like a $200 mixer, begged him, cried to him to get me this. I got it mixed this, um, made our, a vacation video of our family, cut it together with different VHS players that I got around the house. You, uh, I integrated a stereo into it, played music on it, and I showed my parents, and I remember they, they cried when they watched it. And wow. I knew at that moment that I wanted to be a filmmaker. Again, mm -hmm. this is like third or fourth grade. Before I draw, I drew a lot, I draw a lot. Um, I wanted to be an animator, but when I saw the power of live action and shooting things with camera, uh, I was hooked. That's so, so cool. Yeah. Young age, third, fourth grade. I was young, yeah. I, I didn't realize at the time, and I knew, I knew from that moment, there was no question, and I knew I wanted to, so I looked up all the schools. Before, I'd wanted to go to CalArts, because I knew <laughs> that's where all the Disney animators went. At that moment, I was like, I want, what's the best film school? And it was like, USC Film School. So from then on, my only target was got to get to USC Film School. No kidding. Um, when so, you were in third and fourth, fourth grade. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. It the was, foresight. It was uh, all my all my brothers and sisters went to UCLA. Okay. Except for me, so uh, <laughs> my parents had to pay a little more to support uh, me going to USC. But it was uh, that was the best part of my parents. They were they never let us work at the restaurant. They always said um, the restaurant's always here for you. You can always take it when you want it. 
but they didn't want us to get used to fast cash. And they said, do everything we couldn't do growing up. So they wow. put us in, you know, uh, we took instruments. I took piano, drums, saxophone, violin, piano. Uh, I took uh, tap lessons. Um, never great at any of these things, by the way, but I was f- sort of forced to take them. Or if I got lost interest, I would just switch yeah. to, a different, uh, to a different instrument or a different thing. I'd go to animation classes. We'd go to... Um, go to shows every weekend. So it was either opera season, musical season, or ballet season. So um, we were exposed to a lot of art early um, and encouraged to just play. So That's awesome. Yeah. How do you think play has kind of been encouraged to play as a kid? How how does that play into your life now? Completely. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, um, but like even just getting toys and I had all my action figures, my GA Joes, my transformers, I'd have my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle things, my WWF figures. I'd have huge adventures in my backyard. They'd be in the, in the trees in the mud. My friends would come over and, and we would like combine our toys together and make like the mega toy collection. <laughs> and I would keep track of these stories in my head and they would go on for weeks and weeks. Um, and looking back, didn't realize at the time, but looking back, that's where I learned story. That's where I fell in love with telling long form story. That's where, uh, uh, and even when I make movies now, when we design, we design this big sequence in GI Joe where these ninjas are falling off this mountain cliff and they're, they're, they're swinging and doing all this stuff. And we designed it. I got my old Joe's back and we were with the, with the visual effects artist in a room and we literally set up couches and chairs and said, okay, here's the cliff. And I, I need them to jump off and swing over here and jump over to this table. And then we created an, a, a way to like, okay, if they're going to swing from here to here, they need to have a pick point here. So then we move a stool over to that area and say, okay, there needs to be a mountain here. So by the end, the whole room is full of furniture. And um, it, was, it was like just going back. Um, and so those things definitely allow your brain to... Uh, to, to, to feel free to, 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 to feel free to just be free. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that, that is such a huge part and, and it's a confidence builder too, because you can create your own world. You don't have to, you're not relying on someone else mm. giving you that or, um, being op- offered some opportunity. Your play is yours. Yeah. And I think, uh, oftentimes it's, it's, you forget that as you grow older mm. and people give you the rules and, Oh, but you only have this amount of money and you can only do this and that. When you're playing, you have the similar restrictions. You only have this many toys and you can only be in this sandbox with that tree and then you have to make it work. Yeah. And I think uh, that definitely was, was something and continues to be something I try to do often, yeah. um, maybe not in toy form, um, but uh, in other ways. Uh, so it definitely had an influence. Yeah, now you have a bigger sandbox. Now I have a bigger sandbox <laughs> and the toys talk back to you now. Oh. Now they're like, wait, how about my close-up? And you're like, oh, okay, I'll get to that close-up in a little bit. So. My big, big, my, I want my face on the on the big screen. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, if you uh, blow that thing up, it's actually a million dollars to rebuild it. So uh, yes, this is, yes. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> it's got to be a trip to like, be playing, you know, as a kid, play, be playing with your Joes, your GI Joes, and then like going and directing that yeah, movie. That was surreal. Um, both because we could build a giant dune buggy that the ninjas fight in, or we could build a tank, a hiss tank that, that was a double decker thing that could open and close. And we built it from an old Russian tank. And you have hundreds of people working on this thing for your 
idea of this tank and you show up one day and they've built it with a giant flamethrower and <laughs> and the rock is sitting in it and Bruce Willis is there and uh, and then this guy in a ninja suit is there sweating you know his face off in it and um, so there are real people behind it but um, but that's what the best part is that, that is a collaborative thing it is like yeah. playing with your friends everybody has their own role and everybody builds this vision together and it's it's really fun in that way that's so cool man so now jumping back to college what yeah. what did you learn i mean what did you learn from college that you apply directly today because i i, I talked to a lot of people that are doing well and and they never even went to college or people yeah. dropped out and i mean what value did college play for you i mean mm -hmm. it's i mean you sounds like it it really was great for you yeah it, and i get that question a lot of like oh should i go to film school um, and the, the reality is film school is not for everybody. Um, yeah. I think that for me, it was vital to my growth as a human being besides just being a filmmaker, because I had gone to the same school since I was a kid yeah. all through high school. So it was like 13 years of the same people, which was great. I got to build my confidence and yeah. learn that. Um, I can start a club if I wanted to, and no one's going to bully me. I can dress the way I want, be the way I want. Um, when you have, you know, your brothers and sisters that have been at that school for so long, you get a yeah. little bit of immunity to all those things. And as a quiet sort of shy kid, mm -hmm. it, it allowed me to grow through that, um, and find my voice in other ways. Mm. But I had, a, I knew I wanted to go to film school cause I, I knew that I needed that experience. Um, I didn't know what experience exactly that is, but I knew I need to get out and just see the world a bit. Yeah. And um, going to USC, what for me, what they always what they always say in the at USC is it's not a trade school. If you want to learn how to turn on a camera and shoot, it's probably not the best place for you anyway. It's there's a lot of theory, there's a lot of history, um, but it's mostly about um, audiovisual storytelling. Mm. It's really a storytelling school. Whatever you're using, film, animation, sound, editing. Um, it's uh, it's whatever all those things. It's 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 a theory of audiovisual storytelling and the grammar. So like anyone can write a sentence, but how do you write a sentence that is compelling, or how do you mm. write a combination that that says something different than or, or that feels ironic or yeah. um, has more depth to it? So all those things in when you're doing when you're dealing with pictures and sound together, mm -hmm. there are certain rules that you have to know or certain things that people in the past have have figured out. Um, and so that, those theories really helped me, that grammar really helped me understand. So at least I had a base. So I, I was already creating stuff. I was already making stuff, mm -hmm. but having the knowledge of what was quote unquote correct and not correct helped me, um, know when to break those rules or not, or at least give me a sense of a roadmap of what I wanted to do when I wanted to break. Yeah. Um, and so things were much more intentional after that. But the biggest thing from film school because even going to USC, you don't come out with a reel. You only only a certain amount of people get to actually f direct yeah. uh, even a short there. Um, you get to do some little school projects, but the actual big stuff, they only pick like four directors to do it. I was lucky enough to get picked to do that, but oh, that's wow. not what got me into the business necessarily. I think it was being amongst people that loved movies mm. as much or more than myself, people who are way more talented than myself, being in an environment that I was one of a group of people um, that loved the same thing and wanted to pursue the same thing was really helpful. Um, and it pushes you. Yeah. 
and um, makes you, inspires you to see mm-hmm. what they create and how their brain works. Um, but also working on other people's projects. I got to help out some people's projects and mm-hmm. they would help me out. And that community coming out of film school, yeah. I was, as I was putting my short films together to get jobs after film school, that community is what are the people who helped me make that. And mm-hmm. I didn't have the money to necessarily, you know, if you, you didn't go to film school, you'd have to know those people or you'd have to hire those people. Oh, I didn't wow. have any connections in, in the business and I didn't have any money coming out of there. So it was just that community uh, was everything for me. And yeah. it allowed me to make a short, a couple short films there, but my main short film that came out called When the Kids Are Away was a musical mm. about um, the secret life of mothers. And, oh, wow. uh, and that's what got me the attention and got me my agent and, um, and stuff to, to get into the business. Oh, no kidding. So that's how you, that's how you got into the business was that short film. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple shorts that got me some awards. Like I did this one called silent beats, uh, which you can mm-hmm. see on YouTube. Um, and it was a, uh, five minute short with just tap rhythms, yeah. um, no dialogue. And I won a lot of awards from that. And that gave me like scholarships uh, and things, uh, which was really encouraging. Um, that showed that I could take something kind of weird and out there and, and make it something that people would like. Yeah. Um, and then I got a, an award I got from that was a grant from the Princess Grace Award, or Princess Grace Foundation. Uh, and they gave me um, some money to do a project as my senior project. And that one was When the Kids Are Away, the one about mothers. And that project, once I finished that movie, um, at the time there was no uh, YouTube. Uh, things got out by VHS or DVD. <laughs> so, so crazy. Some of the people I had met along the way when I did Silent Beats, like agents and managers, I didn't sign with them. I, I stayed in school for that, and they said, just stay in school, finish your stuff, keep us, keep us in the loop. Oh, so you were still going to school when you were like making this? Yeah, I was probably like a sophomore, a junior when I did Silent Beats, and then a senior when I did When the Kids Were Away. Oh, no kidding. And then that is what, uh, that short film spread everywhere, When the Kids Are Away, into the um, agencies and stuff. And so I got calls from a lot of people. I wow. signed with my agent at that time, Rob Carlson, who is still my agent now. Amazing. So it's been a good many, many years with him. Um, and, um, and I got my start really fast. Steven Spielberg saw it, and he brought me, he sort of marked me in a weird way at the time. Even, even though we'd, we'd set up a project with him at DreamWorks, hmm. I never ultimately made that movie, but just him being kind to me and, and, and interested in me, um, people heard about that kind of, uh, when he does that, it's a big deal to other people. And so as a young person, I got a lot of attention really quickly. Um, I got attached to a movie called Bye Bye Birdie. It was a remake of an old musical, uh, at Sony. Hmm. And, um, and so that, uh, we, 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 I worked on that project for a couple of years. I was pay or play. Uh, so I was in the business. I didn't have. I was lucky. I didn't have to do some odd job before mm. getting in. I, I had a directing job right away. Again, there's a whole story and and what happened between there and my first movie, Step Up to the Streets. Yeah, it was a good five years before I actually made my first movie. Wow, which is probably where I grew and became the person I am today more than mm. anything. Um, but that was that was the start of that journey. Wow, wow, that's crazy. So, let's. I, I want to jump into that journey because it sounds yeah. like you learned a lot about yourself and. Um, what was a, so let's start. What was that journey from that time to you got step up to? Yeah. And then we'll talk about what you learned. So I guess, um, when I was attached to Bye Bye Birdie and to, uh, the movie at DreamWorks, um, it's actually an interesting story with, with the, 
the Spielberg thing was because, uh, so he saw the short and then um, we met and my we, we sat down, we talked about musicals for two hours. It was a great meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he was like, do you have anything else? I was like, yeah, I have a project, a musical that I've been working on with my best friend. And so uh, he's like, oh, come, let's hear it. So uh, three days later, I brought my best friend, Jason Russell, uh, who started Invisible Children yeah. uh, years later. Um, him and his now wife, Danica, uh, they were writing this story about um, the sort of Romeo and Juliet musical type story. So mm-hmm. we went in and pitched my first pitch ever was to Steven Spielberg uh, and all his like top lieutenants um, <laughs> oh, wow. and I'd never done a pitch before and looking back it's really embarrassing because we had like this chest full of costumes and wigs and images that we put together <laughs> and it was like an hour pitch and we literally got dressed up in these wigs and hats and did the whole thing in front <laughs> oh, of them and they're really kind about it they're very nice but looking back they must have laughed like immediately after this meeting <laughs> they bought it so that was great but um oh, that's good yes <laughs> um, but actually it's after that when they were starting when, when we were negotiating that deal jason was leaving for uh, sudan at the time mm. um to go start a documentary about africa and um i was like you're leaving right now like we just met with Steven Spielberg. He's going to want to buy this thing and you're going to need to be around. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I've always put this trip off and I'm supposed to do, I know I meant to go do this and I need to leave. Wow. So he passed up on that opportunity and he left and I'll never forget that because that's where invisible children started. And, yeah. um, and so I always looked up to him that he, he could make that choice because I could not have made that choice. Yeah. Um, in any, and he didn't even know the story he was headed towards, but, um, but that that so so coming into that as a young twenty two year old um, and working on these big movies at Sony and I had a couple of movies at Warner Brothers and yeah. one at Lionsgate that we were de- as I was developing. Um, uh, so when this, you were when yeah. you were you working on these movies, what were you actually what were you doing when you say you're attached to it? Were you, you weren't were you directing at that point? Well, directing starts at that point where you're working with the writer. You're either writing yourself or hiring a writer and working with the writer, meeting with actors, um, designing stuff. You're basically putting the vision together while the okay. script is being written. Gotcha. Um, so those things take time. They yeah. they do take a couple of years. And so it wasn't like coming out of the gate. Although I got a lot of attention, I was in you know, Variety and Hollywood Porter and all those magazines. I was written up in a bunch of different things um, as the next guy, yet I hadn't made a movie yet. And that's scary. <laughs> and that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And it gets to your head a little bit. I don't think I was, I don't think I was egotistical in any sort of way, but you just are like, okay, I'm, my first movie's got to be amazing. And it's going to be this big thing. Yeah. Um, but there's a reality to making movies that it's never really made until you're actually on set with a camera. And it's actually not really being uh, released until it's in a theater itself. You never know what's going to happen in that process. Yeah. So cut to two, three years later and no movie's been made. And four years later, no movie's been made. And uh, and then finally on my fifth year of um, sitting around and at a certain point you there's not much more you can do except for wait for the studio to green light your movie. Mm. Um, and you feel the pressure of everyone's going like, Oh, what happened to that kid? Oh yeah. He, I don't even know if he ever made a movie. Yeah. You don't want to be that guy. <clears throat> At least there's a fear of not being that guy. Right. Um, and I got a script for step up to the streets. It was, it wasn't step up to the street. It was just called step up Two, And it was a direct to DVD sequel to a dance movie. <laughs> 
uh, Summit was doing it. Disney released the first step up, but they mm. weren't going to be a part of the second one. So Summit came to me and I said, no. And I turned, I called my mom and she's like, when did you become a snob? Like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, why do you think you're too good to do a direct to DVD movie? Like you're a storyteller. You should, if you're, if you're a true storyteller, you can tell it. If you're a true storyteller, you can tell your story in any way you can, whether it's a commercial, whether it's a drawing, whether it's a movie, whether it's a movie on TV, you should be able to tell it in any way. And you haven't proven yourself. You're still on the bench. And I really heard that. That really like cut through to, to, to who I am and who, yeah. what I want to be. And I said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to make the best damn direct-to-DVD dance movie sequel ever. <laughs> and so I, we looked at the script and I tore it apart, went in saying, listen, this movie sounds interesting, but not this script. And, and so, I, so I sort of mapped out what I think this should be mm. and they loved it. So uh, we started developing that. And about two weeks later, Disney called um, to, cause they had heard I was attached to it. They wanted to know my take on it. Mm. So I went and met with Disney and they, uh, Oren Aviv, who was the president of Disney at the time um, said, I have a slot in nine months that we could release this movie in. Can you make it in nine months? I of course said, hell yeah. And, uh, and suddenly our little movie became a, uh, a fully theatrical movie uh, being released by Disney. And nine months later, it was in theaters and made $150 million worldwide and it sort of set me off on this thing. It's crazy that you can wait five years and spend all that time developing so many movies. And then one day you're like, oh, you have to make a movie in nine months. Um, That's insane. But it just took a choice of saying yes in mm. a way. Wow. Wow. So what, so you said that was the biggest growth time. What, mm -hmm. what did you, what, how do you feel you, how do you feel you grew within that? Well, you have a lot of time to think you have a lot of time to doubt yourself. You have a lot of time to say, is this the moment where I say, Oh yeah, that one time that I made that film and I didn't actually make a movie. Um, the people who are closest to you, you see the ones who doubt your vision. You see the people who were around for that moment and maybe have left you see the people who totally believe in you and say, screw it, stay focused, keep yeah. doing things. You learn about your own willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to throw it all on the line. I'm going to eat ramen all day long and be okay. Whether I make money or not, I'm going to make this thing. Yeah. Um, and then you get tested about whether what you're going to say yes to and, and, and how scary that is because there is an ego to, I want my first project to be the best thing ever. Mm. And sometimes it can't be. Sometimes you have to actually grow in your craft before you can do your best thing ever. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to jump before you know where you're going to land. And I think those things, I needed to be pushed by my mom. I needed to be supported by my friends. And yeah. I need to be, uh, I need to be scared out of my mind to do it as best as I could. I needed to make it personal, find something that wasn't personal at first and make it as personal as I could mm. be. Um, and I met some of the, my best friends through that process. I also learned I didn't make anything in those five years. I was like, I felt very, um, I was sort of in a, I was sort of stilted in that, in that moment because I was prepared to make a movie. Yeah. And so I didn't, and usually my whole life I've been making videos with my friends. Uh, it didn't have to be anything. It could be wedding videos, it could be bar mitzvah videos. It could yeah. be little shorts that we did. And for those five years, I didn't make anything. I didn't paint. I didn't draw I didn't do any I just was like focused on this movie this non-existent movie <laughs> and I promised myself after making step up too I was like I'm never gonna have a period of that kind 
and not make stuff because that's, I realize that's what I, that's what drives me. That's, I don't care if it's someone asks me to uh, make a collage for their, you know, daughter's 10th birthday, like creating and making is what I do and is what yeah. I get excited about. Um, and that's all I need in my life. Yeah. Um, so even from then, you know, there was YouTube suddenly came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. There was a place to release stuff. Um, I hadn't edited videos in a while. So now I know I had a camera and I could edit stuff and release it all on my own. So from then on, um, when I have downtime between movies, I, I have always said, I just need to keep making stuff, even if it's just online or wherever it may be now online. It's like the real deal. So <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly. even a little thing, but it's, um, but that's that I always remind myself and that fear when I feel that, feel that fear seep into my brain. Cause mm -hmm. in our business, you ne there is no, there is no definite, you know, I could make 10 movies and one movie goes bad and you're out and no one's going to give you money to make another movie. Um, when I fear, feel that fear, I go back to that place where, you know, you're going to be okay because you're always, no one can control your creativity. No one can control what you make and no one can say no because you don't need permission from anybody. You don't need permission from a studio. Yeah, they can give you money for resources, but actually all you need is your people and your idea. Yeah. And that um, changed my whole perspective on wow. life and relieved actually the anxiety in my life. Yeah, that's serious. Yeah. So where, sure. like, where did you come up with, I mean, where did these, I guess, epiphanies or breakthroughs happen for you? Cause it sounds like it's something that you learn, but yeah. How did you come about these? I'm trying to remember if there was an actual moment. There were several moments when I lost Bye Bye Birdie. So that Bye Bye Birdie was like, uh, probably like two and a half years later, mm -hmm. we had the script, you present it to the studio. You say, okay, this is, this is the one, this is the script we're going to go with and they have to green light it. And when you see them hesitating, that scares the shit out of you. And because you've been working on this for two years and it comes, there comes a moment of truth and they couldn't green light the movie for different reasons uh, of their, you know, the, what they were trying to make at the time. They weren't sure about musicals at the time and all these different things. I was young. I never done, haven't done a movie. The movie was a big movie. So I think they got scared. And so they said, no. And I remember getting that call being like, it's not happening. And I remember thinking, how do you explain this to people? How do you, how do I feel? How, what am I going to do? I just spent all this time. Am I never going to be able to like how I'm going to spend five years on a different movie and then also get the no. And I remember t pretending to take it in stride, but then later that night, uh, just weeping. Like I hadn't cried wow. since I was a child. And I remember just sitting there and it just all came rushing out. And I had uh, driven a friend to, to, cause I had a friend who needed a ride to school. So I drove them to school that day at, at USC. They were going to USC. So I dropped them off and I just sat in the car, like in my old school, knowing that like I had done talks there since graduating, yeah. talking about what it's like to be working in the business. And I remember sitting in the parking lot and just crying by myself. Wow. And I just had to let it all out. Mm -hmm. And once I let it all out, I had to sort of suck it all in and move forward again. And I, and, and I think I sort of made that decision there. Uh, well, it didn't, I guess it wasn't a moment because at that point I was still down. It took me a good several months to just mm. get the strength back and the confidence back. Um, but that started with just making stuff again, little things, mm. making a drawing one night, um, editing a little thing just for um, my brother or sister or my yeah. mom or, or whoever. 
and reminding myself that I have a voice mm-hmm. and that there's nothing that can take away from that. So yeah, it's a, it's a, such a good feeling to be creating something. The best. The it's the it's the it's the thing. It's your wings. It's like when you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, when you create you're giving birth to something yeah. that isn't, doesn't exist in the world. And that is so exciting and no one else can build that thing. And uh, I love that whenever I'm sad or whenever I get a note from the studio, or I'm in a stressful meeting, I draw or I make something, even yeah. if it's simple as like just going on the computer and, and writing a note to someone and doing it in a, in a cool, interesting way, mm-hmm. in a weird way, it's sometimes selfish because you want to make it fun and inter- it, it feeds this part of your brain and yeah. as creators and artists and that brain, that the feeding that thing is, is why we exist. And so, absolutely, uh, yeah, I always try to do that. You can get lost in it. You can forget to do that. Yeah. Your, your little creative monster can get, uh, can get thin and can start to need food and you can ignore it for a long time, yeah. but you do need to, um, you need, need to take the time and the effort to actually feed the thing. Yeah. And just create for the sake of creating. Yeah. Especially it's better that it's bad. It's better that you get it out. I'm like, what the hell did I just draw? What the fuck did I just make? <laughs> Why did I just write? Writing yeah. is also in that same way. You just get it out of your system. Uh, but more often than not, that one thing sparks something new mm. and that thing sparks something else. And, and this is cha- sort of chain hyperlink thing that leads to what you're going to do next or what you're meant to do next. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah the creating, there's a, just like a resonance that you feel. I feel I, that's, I call it creative resonance when you're like creating something that you're, you're excited about whether, whether it's like good or bad, you're excited about it. It's like a good feeling. You can take that. And that's like almost like a, it feeds the fire. Totally. And I think when you're creating, you'd also, you realize how deep your, your your sort of imagery is how deep your literacy is how deep you test every part of your Mm. being of your soul and you realize how much you don't know and then it pushes you to be more wide open Mm. and to start looking at other how other people are doing it or to read the other things that people are doing to see how everyone else deals with this thing so it suddenly makes you much more present it makes you more aware of where you are and what you're doing and what everyone else is doing and you get re-inspired in that way. Yeah. Uh, it's it. That is the. That's why I love being in New York. When we talk about how you, you live in New York and that idea of being around people who are always creating, mm. it's both frustrating because you're like, oh, why can't I be like them? They're so they create such so many great things that I could never have thought of. But at the same time, it makes you it drives you to discover more and explore more. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And as we make bigger and crazier things. You're stuck in the studio system. You're writing a script for a a board of people who give you notes all day long. You lose sight of why you're there and what they need you for. Mm. Um, Why the, you know, um, those executives have you there or pay you your money is to like be the explorer and deliver from your explorations. So um, that's, that's, that's always hard to remember, but, but really important. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were going through um, that five-year period, yeah. how did you pay the bills? <laughs> how did you live while waiting for this, this yes. movie to come? Well, the good thing is I was pair play on a movie, which they don't really do that often anymore, which means they pay you whether they make the movie or not. Oh, So I, at the time they did that, 
And since I was this new thing, uh, my agent, my lawyer had did a really good deal where they got me paid early. So I was able to survive for a couple of years. So I got very lucky on that. It wasn't my doing this. I didn't even know how important that would be, but I remember them wanting to protect me on that. And mm-hmm. that was very helpful. Um, as the time went on, um, you know, you, you have your parents that are there that, that did help me out or, or at least said, we want you to not be afraid. Don't take a project because you're afraid. Mm-hmm. Only take a project because you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're like, that's the key to being creative. My dad's a chef and he's the most creative person I know. He draws all his dishes. Wow. Everything he puts into his food has a reason, has a purpose, has a story. And so he and my mom understand that process, whether they call it the creative process or not. I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they, they call it those things. Yeah. But all what they would say to me is, don't be scared. Don't be scared. You have one advantage is that you have a family that loves you and is here for you. And not everybody has that. So take advantage of that idea. You're not going to go starving. So, so, so don't think your life is over. Yeah. We believe in you and we will be here for every step that you choose and do. Just do the right thing. Um, and I, re- I recognize that not everybody has that. And I yeah. recognize that that's why maybe there's not as many diverse voices in um, filmmaking or, mm-hmm. or some of the other arts because you do have to have a support system that can get you through the hard times, whether it's friends or family or whatever yeah. it may be. Um, so I was very, and I recognize it all the time that I'm very lucky to have that to help me, was my lifeboat through that period. Wow. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's been, it both, it, again, that sort of, reaffirmed to me also how important family is. You know, when you get in, when you're in high school, you just, all you want to do is get away. When you're in college, all you want to do is show your independence. Yeah. And then as you get older, you realize how important your family really is to you and how that core, the people who knew you when no one believed in you, mm-hmm. when no one had to believe in you, um, that link to your past, that link to that person you were is so important. And um, yeah. so I try to, um, I'm, I'm not the best at it, but I try to, uh, to tell them all the time how much I, I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it sounds like you have a very, I mean, you practice gratitude as like a practice in your life. Yeah. I mean, I'm, again, I'm not the best at it. You know, I get <laughs> caught, I get caught up. Like I'm sure many creative people get caught up in what they're doing mm-hmm. and are, are laser focused on that. Um, but I try to be as, uh, have as much gratitude as I can because when I see other people struggle and I try to give them advice, everybody has their own journey. And so it's hard for me to say, you know what, you're going to get through it because yeah. not everybody can get through it. So a lot of people who are way more creative than me can't get through it and have to go do something else, but they find their creative voice in that other thing. Yeah. And that's sort of maybe their journey. So it's hard for me to say, Oh, everyone can do this journey. Cause they really, yeah. it, I had a lot of, um, a lot of help from people and a lot of support, whether it was an award that I got or, a, uh, or, or some organization that helped me connect me with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you that, uh, courage or the lack of fear is free. And that part Fear is the number one thing that'll stop you from anything you're doing, mm-hmm. any great things you're trying to do. It stopped me from being the best thing I can be, which I'm not there yet. And I, and I recognize that as well. So 
to me, when I feel fear, that's when I, that's a warning sign that I need to overcome that or just go mm. straight forward through it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think a lot of bad choices get made because of fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how, how important do you think mindset and emotional intelligence is to success and to creating? What do you, what do you mean by that? The, Just, I mean, the, the, the idea of being able, you know, you say you, when you talk about fear that you run towards it and you, you go after it. Yes, I try to, I try to, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, a lot of people cave to that fear is yes. what I'm saying is so mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's very important to, to be able to like push past that yes. to get to where you want to be. Yes. I think that's important for your journey to wherever you want to be. Success is such a weird term because I don't yeah, believe success means anything. It doesn't mean the same to anybody. Everybody has their own barrier. It's not money and it's not fame. That's for sure. So what right. is success? Uh, is it cha- you know, changing other people's lives? Is it yeah. entertaining people, giving them an escape? I don't know what it is. Everybody has their own thing. But I, yeah, but for me, um, the mentality is so much of the journey because you're not going to, some people get it served on a platter, but most people will not get it served on a platter. So, and you will get lucky to get some things served on a platter just because, I don't know why, but it just happens sometimes. Um, But you have to survive through all those hills and valleys to get Mm. there. And the only true vehicle you have, the only true escape pod that you have is your own brain. Yeah. And there's, and like I said, there's no one who can take that away from you. And when I get into the, my own brain and I'm like, I feel, and I feel fear a lot. Don't get me wrong. I am one of the most fearful people, which is probably why I try to fight against it so much. Mm. I am a rule follower. You know, I'm the guy, <laughs> I'm the guy in class who does study and does, you know, whatever it takes to get that A in the class. And I hate that about myself. I always admire the people who didn't give a fuck and just would show up and do their thing and like hang out. Like, yeah. I admire that. I wish I was more like that. Um, but, for, but for me to grow past that person, I had to sort of get that, get that courage in my, in my brain and yeah. realize that I had to be, I was only me that would care enough to change me. It was only me who could, uh, change whatever situation I was because no one else is going to care enough. Even your mom can care, but they can't really do anything. You have to pick yourself up. When I see how my parents came to America, not knowing one word of English, they just knew like Beatles songs and Elvis songs. That's literally the only thing they knew. Wow. And they had zero resources and they figured it out and Mm. they just did it. Um, I feel a responsibility to their journey to, Mm. to fulfill why they gave us all those things. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that's for me, the, the thing that pushes me through for all that. That's awesome. So uh, let's go back. What is, yeah. what does success mean to you? Huh. <laughs> success, I guess it's evolved through, mm-hmm. as I grow, it's what I call success. I'm really proud that I can do what I love um, and support myself doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm proud that um, that 
I've convinced enough people to allow me to make movies because making movies is not a solo thing. You actually need someone to help you. You need a mm. lot of people to help you, both on the financial side, but also on the creative side. Yeah. So I feel proud that um, I've been able to convince enough people that I can do this mm-hmm. and that, um, so in, in a way that's part one of, to me, my success. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, again, it's not about doing a movie for a big studio. It's not about making money. Mm-hmm. It's just about saying, Oh, if I wanted to make a movie, I could find a way to do that. Yeah. And, and, and I think that took a lot of effort and it took a lot of people saying no to me. It took a lot of people, turning me away from the gates of a studio because they thought I was the delivery guy. It took a lot of people thinking I was too quiet and not knowing was I actually creative or what was I doing when really yeah. I was just processing. It took me a lot of people taking advantage of me and, and cutting those people out of my life. And it mm-hmm. took a lot of people who believed in me more than they should have and, 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 and fulfilling that to them. So, show, so it would show that they, they did, they, they bet on the right horse. Yeah. That's great. So for me, that is a, journey that I probably, I'm not even there yet, but I feel more there than I ever have. Mm. And that's been a long, long journey. I mean, from making wedding videos in high school <laughs> and people treating you like shit to making <clears throat> short films at USC and treating you like shit and saying, oh, that's not artsy enough for us. Yeah. To people seeing who you are through that, um, to people actually paying money to go see your thing. That To me, that was... Step one of that. My, but true success, when you're actually talking about life and real life, um, one, I'll never stop making stuff. Mm-hmm. Never. I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a movie. It doesn't have to be, I'll always make something. But success, what I would feel as an a, a accomplishment, mm-hmm. would be to have a great family, really. Yeah. To, to have, I see what my parents did for me. And I, my dream is to have a family and be able to support my kids in whatever they want mm-hmm. um, and have a creative uh, hub where I can yeah. actually support not just my kids, but other people that can come and edit and make movies or make music or make whatever at a, at a place when they didn't have that opportunity. I had a lot of people do that. My art teacher in grade school bought us canvases when the, money did, when the school didn't have the money to do that. Mm-hmm. Allowed me to to find that voice people who got me cameras or gave me the computers or the, or the, or the software that they didn't have to. And I want to be able to do that for sure. Cause I know how much it helped me as a, as a, as a little kid. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Well, let's jump up. You know, you've, yeah. After a step up two, it was a big success. Yeah. And how did that feel when you had that first big movie come out and people are paying to come to go see it and, uh, what, what was that? What was that like that experience? It was, it was really fun. I mean, not going to lie, going to the arc light to see your movie is pretty surreal. <laughs> you go with your friends. You're like screaming and yelling. You see kids come out. I remember the first day step up Two came out. We had dinner with all our actors and they're like young actors. Uh, and we go to the theater after and the lights come up as the movie ends and most of these actors haven't been in anything before. So all of a sudden the audience turns and sees the cast there and they just swarm them. Wow. And security had to come to usher them out. It was at the Grove. So they usher them out of the Grove. And I remember us all, because we all got in a van and we're just 
laughing. And it was one of those moments you'll never forget. It was like, this is like in the movies <laughs> when like that, you know, that person gets, hears their song on the radio for the first time. Like you're giddy. People are like banging on the cars and you're like, this is nuts. That's so uh, cool. And you try to remember that feeling always because it's not always like that. But, <laughs> but I remember that moment in particular. Mm. Um, and movies take a while to know if it's ultimately a success or not yeah. financially. Mm -hmm. um, but getting messages from people at the time, it was like on MySpace, um, saying how it inspired them or, or this or that. That was, that was yeah. great. And getting to know those dancers in the movie they literally have become some of my best friends, and uh, awesome. and uh, and that's when we started making YouTube videos, and we started we did this challenge against Miley Cyrus. We did this uh, we were called the Adam Chu Dance Crew because Adam was a, Adam Savani who was in our movie playing Moose, and we challenged Miley Cyrus mm. to this dance battle, online dance battle. We didn't know her, <laughs> and uh, she we made a dance video with all our dancers, and then she made a video with all her dancers, and she included Channing Tatum in hers. Oh. It was sort of a slap in our face because he was a step-up guy. Yeah. So then we got, like, Lindsay Lohan. Um, we got Chris <laughs> Brown. We got Diana Ross. We got uh, we got a ton of people. The Jabberwockies. We got all these people in our video. Um, and uh, and so we had this back and forth. And that mm. was, that made, I remember that it was sort of while our movie was out. Yeah. And there was this sort of sweeping feeling of, like, all the fans who watched the movie and new people were watching our battle videos. You can watch it online now. It's pretty fun. Oh my God. I have um, to check that out. And, uh, I remember thinking, wow, this YouTube thing is a new voice mm. and the audience out there wants to participate in that storytelling. Um, and it made me so a lot. It just, I remember thinking, Oh, this is, this is why I started this all like making my own things, editing it two in the morning, just by with me and my friends and letting it out to the world. Um, and getting hundreds of thousands of hits or millions at that time. So though that was really fun. That's so cool. Yeah. That's, that's a great experience. I'll never forget. I always, everyone always asks me, what's your favorite movie, but it's hard to pass your first movie experience because you've never lived that before. Yeah. And we were all young and, uh, it was, it was like a dream for sure. That's amazing. That's amazing. So What's your, now going into a movie when you're making a movie, what's kind of, I mean, I know it's probably a long, but what's your creative process in, you know, what, how does it start? I mean, I guess paint a picture because a lot of us, I mean, aren't in privy to this side of, of yeah. the actual craft of the business and you have your script, you get the script and then you say, how do you choose what script you want? And then if, if you want to do a script and then where does it go from there? Yeah. Well, um, for me, I get sent a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm mostly in the dance world or, well now it's like dance action or like pop music concert docs, things like <laughs> that. So, um, but for me, um, it's either an idea that I come up with and I go pitch to a studio uh -huh. um, and they say yes or no, or they come to me with a script and I have to give my take on it. And I go in with, you know, drawings and uh, clippings and things and I try to pitch my take on it, what I would do with that movie. So mm -hmm. that's like step one of the process. Um, most of my movies that I've actually made, uh, I guess it's kind of split, but um, have an existing script. I, I haven't written any of the movies that I've actually made, although I've been a big part of the writing process. Mm -hmm. I love working with writers. I love working with people who are smarter than me and know words better than me and are yeah. funnier than me. But I love being a part of the process. Like, yeah. hey, I love this moment. What if they were to come into school and this and this happened? And, and the writers create this moment that's better than what was in my head. Wow. 
Um, so, and then, so you work with a writer, you hire a writer, mm-hmm. um, or there's, if there's a pre-existing writer on the script, you do a, a draft or two with them. You either keep them on or you can get another writer on it at some point mm-hmm. and you develop the script until the studio is happy with it. Mm-hmm. And that can take from a year or six months in step up two world, um, up to 10, 11 years Jeez. if you want. I mean, it can go forever if you want. Um, and, um, so, so then once you get to that point, then the studio has to green light it or not. So you can spend a lot of time with, and, and end up with just a script that never gets made. I've, I think I have, you know, if I've made seven movies in seven years, then I probably have, I probably developed over 20 scripts that never Jeez. got made. So in that time, while I'm doing things, I'm doing, I'm also developing scripts. So, uh, and then pitches that I've gone to that I haven't gotten the jobs for. I have a folder on my computer. I used to do it uh, all um, in a binder. So I had like, I have a closet full of binders. I probably have 40 different binders that I did in those first couple of years to pitch projects that I never got. And it takes a lot of time to make those Jeez. binders with images and how it would sound and look and feel. Now I do it on my computer and I probably have 100. So of those 130 projects that I've said, gotten said no to, I've only gotten said yes to on seven. Jeez. So the amount of no's that you have to get. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you get immune to it. It feels yeah. bad for the first 10. <laughs> and then after 10, you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, I can move on. And, but, and you also have to be okay with that enough that to put, continue to put effort for 130 times. Because that takes a lot of time where you don't get to be with friends. You don't get to go out to that dinner. You don't get mm. to... Uh, do all those things, but you know, you, 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 it's worth it if you love it enough. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that people don't know about movie making. It's not like we just get sent a script and we're like, great, let's go make this movie. Like, you got to fight for it, especially when you're beginning. Wow. Um, even now, as many movies I made, like, I have to fight for it every time. Um, and not everybody respects your work either. So you have to be okay with that your work it's who you are and that's what it is and everyone has their very personal opinion about movies yeah. i mean when i first made my movie probably with the hardest part of the step up to process um going through that was reviews and your own friends saying stuff on social media or whatever and not realizing that you made that movie these are like old you know, friends that didn't re- and, and you reading this stuff and you just have to sort of get over it yeah. Like people have their, you're, yeah. you're making art. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And people will have their opinion and you've got to grow some thick skin and accept that that's what, that's what this is. Yeah. It's a public art and everybody feels very personal to it. In the same way music, I'm sure musicians feel that same uh, way. Totally. Everyone has different opinions. So, uh, so yes, that is a, that's part of the second part of that journey <laughs> yeah. is you got to know yourself so well that no matter what people are saying, mm. It was actually less, it was more pain. It was less painful for myself because I'm okay with people saying, oh, I didn't like that movie or that movie, right? What the fuck was he thinking there? Or like, he's yeah. a hack or whatever it may, may say. Uh, and it's so easy for people to say that now. But, um, but for me, um, it, was, it, it was more difficult to see my family and friends deal with that kind of stuff because mm. I'm okay with it, but they don't like seeing that. Yeah. So. Yeah. My mom's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write something on that thing. I'm like, mom, don't write, please calm down. Don't write. It's okay. Or you can see them like, you know, when they tell their friends 
and their friends are like, oh, I saw that on the news. Isn't that the one that uh, was it's just for like little kids or something? And they're like, no, it's not just for little kids. And but you guys got you know that's to yeah. me. I think my family is yeah, getting yeah. used to that idea. I told them not to read reviews, <laughs> uh, but it's hard when like you know when Rotten Tomatoes first connected to your Facebook. Mm. People didn't realize that it was connected to their identity, and so I connected to Rotten Tomatoes this is many years ago. And then all of a sudden I got this list of like, these people commented on Step Up 2 or these people put thumbs down on Step Up 2 and you're seeing your friend's name. You're like, oh my gosh, I do not want to know this. Like, wow. that's fine. They have their opinion, but I don't want to know it. <laughs> like, so anyway, that's, that's a whole nother phase Oof. of making movies. So. The bigger public eye. Yes. That's, that's a whole different ballgame. Oh yeah. Jeez. Man. People love to say their opinion everywhere. Yeah, that they do, <laughs> especially on the internet. <laughs> yes. Uh, so once you get a movie, once you start, once the the studio greenlights it, then you move into production. Yeah. And how much pre-production usually do you have to go through before you actually start filming? Yeah, it depends how big the movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, for something like G.I. Joe, we spent a good eight months prepping because we had to yeah. do previs where we uh, pre-visualize some of the action sequences. We have to storyboard those things. We have to build models. They have to start building the sets. It takes them months and months just to build sets and, and, and props and everything's being built. So uh, that is a long process. Um, but it's cool because you, you get to have your DP, you get to have your production designer, you yeah. get to have uh, all the different, your different army of, of creatives that get to contribute now. And it's not just you mm. with a writer and producers and a studio. It's like, okay, let's go. Now we get to make things. And I yeah. love going into the workshop and seeing how they're building that thing. Yeah. And saying, oh, can we make the flame five feet bigger. And they're like, hell yeah, we can't. And they go do that. It's, uh, it's, and everybody bringing their own shit so that yeah. you feel that it is growing and evolving mm-hmm. and not just what is in your little head. Cause our little heads can only do so much. Yeah. But a hundred little heads can do some really great things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Then you start building and you, and you, and then at some point, you know, the studio can also pull the plug at any time. So, <laughs> I'm trying to think of movies that have gone down the pre-production road. I've gone down two weeks before pre-production and the movie shut down. Uh, I've gone down, I haven't gone in pre-production, but I'm sure that will happen in my career at some point. Yeah. Um, I hope it doesn't, but I assume that the process is the process. So they can pull the plug anytime. They've pulled plugs from movies that have been shooting for two weeks. Uh, if the dailies aren't good or if the clips don't look great wow. um, or something else happens, the funding falls through. So, uh, you're never really making a movie until you're done. <laughs> until it's <laughs> in the theater. That's the reality. I mean, we've got, even when we finished G.I. Joe, it was supposed to come out like March. Uh, no, it was supposed to come out June. Mm. And two weeks before, no, a month before we're coming out, they pushed us a year. What? Four weeks. So I'm rushing. I'm like not sleeping. We're like doing all the finishing touches. And then they just shut us down one day. And it was in uh. the papers before I knew about it. So it's one of those things wow. where you then have to go to your crew and tell them before they find out because you want to be the person to tell them like, oh, we're going to put a pause for a year. And most of them have to go on to other projects. Like they can't wait around for a year. So it just, yeah. it's like, it's a crushing emotional thing. And uh, movie making is very emotional. There's a lot of us <laughs> in down. But I guess that's, uh, you know, that's the price you pay for living this job. But, um, but yeah, so, so. G.I. Joe got pushed. It was a great decision. Ultimately, we, the movie 
came out great and, 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 and did great at the box office at the time. So, but that was a hard yeah. couple of weeks to, 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 oh, to take in and realize imagine. what am I going to do? Like, and we had to make the movie 3d at that point cause it wasn't 3d. So, so for nine months I had to just make, help make the movie 3d in a way and, and oversee, um, how it was going to be converted. So, oh, wow. Jeez. Um, but yeah, I think maybe that's why I have, <laughs> maybe that's why I have so many thoughts about fear and creativity because you're, you're sitting there thinking about these things and it can either take you down yeah, or you can still live your life and be okay mm. with those things. So yeah. If there's one thing I really learned is that things work out. Yeah. As long as you position yourself the way you want it to work out, it will work out mm. in that way. And if you are negative and throw your hands up and that's probably the, what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but you can survive those things. We're human beings and you, one day we're going to be on a deathbed and we're going to look back at our life and we'd be like, why do we care so much about that? <laughs> why, why, why was I so stressed out of the sound being a little hotter in that one area yeah. uh, than the other parts? Um, so I often try to get to that zone. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Great, great advice. <laughs> <laughs> Always think about when you're dying. That's right. No, I don't know. <laughs> That'll put things in perspective. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend always is like, you're, sometimes you're so like morbid. It's like, no, it's not. It's not being morbid to think about your death or like where you're going to be. It's that's life. Like this is this is as a as artists, we explore our sort of our thoughts on how, our existence and why yeah. we're here and what we're meant to do here. And the reality is we're only here for a short amount of time. Who knows what happens after? Yeah. But um, in that little existence of time, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful time and we should be able to sort of appreciate those little moments. Yeah. And it's so hard to. Yeah. We're not programmed to. Yeah. So what, uh, what change do you want to inflict upon the world through your art and your movies and your filmmaking? What do you mean by say, say that again? What... What, what do you, what's your vision, um, for your, your art, you know, like to, uh, mm -hmm. like what change in the world do you want to, to mm -hmm. make through your art? Well, it's interesting because I think I just want to, in a lot of the stuff, and again, it's, it's an evolving idea, but most of my stuff I just, and why I love movies is that it communicates that you're not alone. Mm. Like, I feel like everyone feels alone. Mm -hmm. Everyone feels out of place. Everyone's trying to find that journey. Even if you're happy and content and all those things, we're still, our brains are still separate from the greater energy of, of what I think we're a part of. Mm. And so we always feel trapped and contained and where, why are we doing the right thing? Why is this? How is this? You feel the energy coming in on you instead of being a part of you and movies show you that like, you're not alone in those feelings. We're together in those ideas. Yeah. We, by trying to search for the answers that we'll never get, and that's sort of a fact, we'll never have those answers, yeah. but you have to search for those answers. Mm -hmm. That shows that we are actually together. Mm. That, the idea of love and how we love each other or how we hate each other, that journey is that journey is like so a part of our existence. And every human being that's lived on this planet has gone through that. Mm -hmm. 
and movies say that. And I, I, th- I think that's in all my movies, whether it's told through dance, whether it's told through action, whether it's told through magic tricks, whether it's told through music, um, it's the idea that uh, we're all in the struggle together. So let's, yeah. let's, let's explore together. That's great. That's great. A couple quick questions before we wrap up here. Uh, who, who are a couple of directors that you look up to? Um, well, Steven Spielberg is someone that I grew up watching mm-hmm. and I love and, and, and he, he sort of plucked me in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't talked to him in years, but he definitely helped me. So and I, and, and beyond that, his work I think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, Walt Disney, is someone that I look up to. Yeah. But he created his own world. He didn't, he didn't, there's a lot of things that were against him and he just did it and he mm-hmm. made, and, uh, and he has this idealistic idea of what, uh, what we are as human beings and what we are as families. And I love that. Yeah. And I, every time I even just go to Disneyland, I feel that in my bone and it inspires me. And yeah. I, I'm not sure my work will ever inspire people to feel that. Yeah, but I love trying to trying to get there. Yeah, with that, um, I think Steve Jobs is someone I look up to. I yeah. think he is um, someone that had a very specific vision of the future and that shifted and mm-hmm. changed and evolved. And he, but he, his strive for perfection, I think, is mm-hmm. so admirable. And his idea that a company has to have a soul and that you're what you make. He was an artist in every. Uh, sense of mm-hmm. the word as much as he was a marketer he was an artist mm-hmm. with technology and his tools allowed me to have a voice so i can't um yeah so to me how do you invent a tool for other people to create that, that that's nuts um and uh so i i really appreciate him i always look up to that idea yeah. um so he's not exactly a filmmaker but he's storyteller in all those ways i guess yeah. i look up to to, to storytellers in those and Michael Jackson, I think, is a uh, is an amazing storyteller. Yeah, um, it's his music videos that I would watch that made me believe in magic and made me also want to go into storytelling. Those long music videos. Yeah, uh, I was like, oh, that's the st- that the, uh, those are modern musicals. That's what I want to mm-hmm. do. So. Wow, that's great. And one one last uh, question I love to ask every guest is, what does the phrase "live inspiration" mean to you? Live inspiration. Yeah, to live inspiration. Wow. Live inspiration. I think it's, to me, is like a candle. Mm. Like the most you can do is glow in your own self. Mm. You You can't... try to inspire people. I think people who say, all I want to do is inspire people. I think that's the, I think that's a result of what you, of what your work mm-hmm. may be or what your intentions may be. But if you're trying to inspire people, that's the wrong intention because that means you're trying to just convince people to believe you. Mm-hmm. I think inspiration comes from a light from somebody. Mm-hmm. And the more you exist in your light and fulfill the potential that you have been given Everyone has certain gifts and tools that they're given and you can mm-hmm. fight those things and grow in a different way or you can embrace those things and glow in that way that people can see in the dark with that and can see you in that and will hopefully inspire them to yeah. look inside themselves to do that as well. And I think that's when you say live inspiration, I, I, 
I picture this candle living inside you, and I, and I, and I like that a lot. Wow. Beautifully said. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> was that crazy? Was that insane? No, that was great. Right. That was great. Well, uh, John, I just acknowledge you for the difference that you're making in the world and your living inspiration, man. Like, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And Thank I, you, uh, too. Yeah, it's been amazing. So where can people follow you on the interwebs, uh, see you what can, you're up to? <laughs> you can go to uh, Twitter or Instagram, at John M. Chu, J-O-N-M-C-H-U. Uh, Nick, I always love following you. You are definitely, when I see your pictures and your images and the life that you live, I'm like, oh, I want to live that life. It's so fun. <laughs> you look like a true adventurer out there. So, Well, thank you. I mean, you have quite the adventurous life. Well, one day well. I'll go to you know Cuba and all those places and take <laughs> beautiful pictures. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. Thank you. Appreciate all it. Right. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of shop talk radio with director john chu i'm your host nick onkin and if you enjoyed today's episode we'd love it if you could leave us a good review over on itunes because that helps us spread the word get higher in the rankings and spread inspiration to even more people we'd also love it if you can tweet or facebook this episode if you liked it and we'd love to see where you're listening to the episode so pop a little instagram photo of where you're listening, tag me at Nick Onkin or hashtag Shop Talk Radio. And with that, go out and create many amazing things this week and we'll see you next time. 